Hi everybody, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, and today I do not have anybody that I'm interviewing. Today is really a day of reflection on the podcast. I realized I'd interviewed 52 creatives over the past couple of years on this podcast, and this is the last episode for season four, because I'm on my 13th, and I do 13 podcasts a season. So I kind of wanted to reflect about the things that I've learned during this process and also to give myself a little bit of a break because I had been working really hard in my grad school classes and I'd been making so much improvement and I kind of was like, I, I'm kind of not bringing in that time period to reflect um, to me, which is really important because it was something I learned in my art ed education program to always kind of do and then reflect because you can get so much more out of the experience of learning. Um, if you never really reflect on things, how do you know to adjust or think about maybe making changes for the future? So I made myself a little list here. And the things that I notice regarding interviewing all of these different creatives is, number one, everybody has a different path. So all the creatives, they vary from being writers, art teachers, um, visual artists, um, even musicians, and everybody kind of, kind of has to take a different path and direction because it's all kind of almost like a personal preference thing. Um, we all have different personalities and how we approach problem and solve it. And so when we're trying to get our creative careers going and finding opportunities, it may not necessarily be like a checklist because in the past when I was doing my undergrad in illustration I always thought that there was this checklist that you had to follow and this checklist said if you do A, B, and C this will be the end result and that if you just go ahead and double down on everything work really hard it's always going to work out in your favor and in life you know there's no guarantees you're probably going to, as an artist, have more failures than you will have successes. And that's just a learning process. Just like when you're drawing something, the first time you drew something when you were a little kid, you're like, oh, that's looking pretty good. And as you get older, you develop your skills, you draw things over and over again, and you progressively get better. So when I look at old sketchbooks, I don't draw the same way that I did in elementary school. Obviously, I've gotten a lot better. And even today, I don't draw the same way that I did six months ago. Um, I've challenged myself to grow and get better in my craft. So I feel like it's just gives us so much more opportunity to say, hey, it's fairly normal. You choose something that's not necessarily on the beaten path and you want to try it, go for it. You never know. It might just work out in your favor. And then if it doesn't work out in your favor, take the moment to look and see what you learned from that experience and build upon it. I also think a lot of it is perspective. One of the art teachers I interviewed, Haley Ward, she said, I didn't get this one particular art teaching job. I really wanted it at the time. She then later on, because she didn't get that job, another opportunity opened up and that became the job that she really loves and she really enjoys. And so I think she kind of talked about it's your perspective and your faith um, in God, um, whether it's your, um, you know, your particular 
own faith about um, life, how you look at things, how you see them, the same thing could be looked at in a negative light. You could say, oh, that is just awful. You could sit there and you could just ruminate over it over and over again. And believe me, I have in life, I have thought things over and said, was there five or ten different options I could have done to make this outcome differently? There might not have been. So you kind of look at everything as a learning experience. And then because that door didn't open, this other door opened instead. And you were able to apply your skills, your creativity, your craft to it. So never discount and bring yourself down over a lost opportunity. Just say, hey, that was a learning experience. You know, that point in my life, it wasn't meant for me. So this brings me to my next point. This was something that the writer Michael uh, Mamey had mentioned. There are different seasons of our lives. And he is so right. He mentioned as an author, and he spent his career mainly, he spent his career in the military. He's also a teacher. He's done a lot of different things in his life and an author. But he told me that we have different seasons. There's different seasons because at that point, maybe we couldn't go down that creative path and we couldn't pursue, you know, our writing or art because we had to get something from that experience. So he talked about he had to retire from the military, you know, be, um, have that experience, go through that, because his books have uh, reflect his life experience in a way um, as a sci-fi military suspense writer. So if he hadn't met the people that he had, if he hadn't had the experiences in life, he wouldn't have been able to write about it in his books in the way that he did creatively. So I think, um, you know, you don't want to be as hard on yourself because I'm a lot older as a student in grad school. I hate to admit that, but I realize I have to cut myself some slack. You know, I'm not going to perform the same way that I did in my 20s and I've gained a lot of life experiences. I understand that my effort and my time management um, because of just how I work and this is how I have to do things that I can get better results but that was something that I had to get through time and effort and experience um, the confidence that I gained from being an art educator those are things that I had to have spent 11 years as an art teacher meet the students that I had um, had the learning experiences teaching and starting a new you know curriculum in animation or graphic design without those experiences i don't think i would have had the confidence to make the leap to go to grad school full-time so don't be hard on yourself if at the season you are in your life and you have small children at home or you have multiple jobs or you are juggling a lot of different things and you don't say maybe at this point you're like I don't have a full-time commitment to my art like I would like to don't beat yourself up you know there maybe you only get 30 minutes you know I uh, interviewed professor John Jensen he was my um, 
pottery and ceramics teacher when I was going through art education at Armstrong Atlantic State University. And he said he had multiple things that he juggled as a professor, as a parent, as a husband. Um, those commitments, you know, um, were very important to him. And that should be. Those are things we prioritize on different levels. But he said his art was important to him. So even if it was just going into the studio and just looking at a piece and reflecting on that, he said that would count as working on his craft. Looking at art, critiquing it, you know, you get so much out of that. And how you look at something from day to day can change. So if you don't have time and you're like, man, I, I don't have time to just bust out a new piece because I have all these things going on in my life. Um, I sympathize because I'm a parent. I'm, you know, I, so I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a student. I still like to teach. Those things are all what make me the person that I am. And I can't just say, I'm going to just stop doing those other things because my quality of life would be not as fulfilled. I don't think that I could bring a certain perspective to my own artwork if I didn't do those other things, um, especially because I'm interested in children's books and just surface design. I love going outside, seeing nature. That helps inform my artwork. So learning to have that um, kindness to yourself and saying, hey, maybe all I can do is 15 minutes and go look at my what I've done and just critique it. So don't be so hard on yourself. Okay. So another thing that I felt like really resonated with me from talking to the artists was my professor in digital illustration. She said, be honest. Always be honest. That was one of the, I think, the top three things at the end of her life. She said, we want, you really want to look at your work and just say, you know, and this is hard. This is really hard to say because by nature, you know, we don't like to do necessary, even if you're passionate about art, there are even aspects in art you go like, I don't really like doing that. I want to avoid it. So being honest with myself and saying, you know, I'm weak. That perspective. I need to work on that because it's challenging and sometimes you know drawing certain things in correct perspective it can be a little bit stale but after I started doing it over and over again a, it was just easier to see things that I was running into problems like I could kind of like adjust and change for it but I know later on when I go to teach perspective I'm just gonna be so much better of a teacher at it and be able to catch my students mistakes when they're maybe not you know things aren't quite going to the vanishing point or is that the correct vanishing point for something when you're looking at it and you're observing and you're drawing it and then also for illustration because a lot of times you can't find a reference photo of something in that specific perspective being able to draw that in a different in a different light in a different angle so it's great when you can be honest with yourself and say hey this is where I need to make adjustments and this is where I can get better at my craft because ultimately I, I want to produce work that I'm proud of I want to produce work that I want to show people um, and produce work that I care about so I think giving yourself some honesty you can develop so much more quickly 
as an artist, whether you're doing fine art or you're doing commercial art. So it is a hard thing to do, though. And it took me um, a lot of time to also, um, when I was interning recently with R. Gregory Christie, he recommended a book called Art and Fear. Okay, so Art and Fear is a book that talks about why are artists, maybe we don't always pursue our artists fully, we don't make those challenges or make those leaps in our artwork. It's a, it's a very short book, um, inexpensive. Um, so I read that. He recommended it and said, you should really use this. And I, I could really identify with those different aspects of fear as an artist that we have. Because, you know, you can easily make your own art at home. Never show a single person. And there's comfort. I mean, it's like, it's not scary. You're just making it. But then myself as being a, wanting to be a commercial illustrator, you know, you got to send it out there. You got to put it out there. And so I finally said, you know, I'm not going to make excuses for my artwork. And that was a big learning point for me. So interning with R. Gregory Christie, he said, don't make excuses. It's like saying, like, it's your child and then you have a child that you're like, oh, well, that my child is like dirty and his hair's all raggedy, you know, um, you put your artwork out there and you let people be the judge of it. You know, don't talk your artwork down because you're always learning and you're always developing your craft. You're trying to get better at it. So another thing that I've learned during this course and uh, you're going to make some bad artwork. <laughs> you're gonna, and so I've been interviewing people, working on my own projects those drawings that I've done, I have a stack of them. It's like this huge stack. Um, we have to keep a sketchbook for graduate school. So what I do is I used to have a sketchbook, but then I realize I have to scan everything in um, just in case if I have to submit it digitally. So I just started using eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper and I have done a lot of bad drawings and I've learned something from those bad drawings that I need to warm up. I need to exercise my memory muscle when I get started on creating a piece of artwork because when I get those bad drawings out, when I go to my other actual project, it's so much better. So, so it is natural for everybody to, as an artist or a creative, so bad writing, you know, good writers probably did a lot of bad writing in the beginning in order to get to the point where they were producing great work. And that was another thing that Michael Monet mentioned um, he had things that he'd written, never going to be seen or published, but, you know, he had to write that in order to be able to develop his craft to do better writing. So, that's, that's another point. I think another point that I've learned is who you associate with as a creative really is going to help you develop as an artist. If you surround yourself with people who are really good in their craft, you are gonna want to excel. You are gonna wanna get better. You know, it. part of the reason why I started this podcast was because I found it very isolating to be an artist who just was working from home or, you know, I have students. I had students that I was teaching and it's a different level that they're at in their art journey than where I'm at. So it's, it's really better, I feel like, if you find people who are, you know, in the same place or better than you because you are going to really up your level. So 
I did this internship, which I'll have to do another podcast about internships. And um, my personal experience was that it was outstanding. So interning with a illustrator who has the level of, you know, long client list, been working for a long time. It's like playing sports with somebody, like whether it's like tennis or basketball, and that person's like NBA level, you are going to perform so much better. You're just going to bring ramp yourself up. So as a creative, whether you're a writer, musician, visual artist, think about who you're with. If the people you generally associate with who are artists, but they're not really practicing their art and craft, and they're really down and negative about their artwork, it's going to affect you as an artist because then you just kind of, you know, they say misery loves company, but you just kind of get down on yourself. So find people who are positive about their work. And so um, my experience with um, some of the people I tend to gravitate towards are like um, one of the people I interviewed Brush a lot, um, Karen Brown, Heather Teets. You know, they are creatives that are exceptional. Heather's a writer. I've worked with her on illustrating some of her books. Um, Karen Brown is a photographer. Um, and also Marsha is a watercolor artist. So when I associate with them, they are really good at their craft. They are excited to talk about their work. They love throwing out ideas. They are um, very positive personalities. Like, I just feel so much more positivity. It's like, I, I told Marsha, it's like being around a ray of sunshine. Her personality is so bright and warm. So every time I talk to her, whether it's about her artwork or what I'm working on, um, I just it's just a very pleasant experience, positive experience. And... You can also, when you're around people who are at that level, you can get feedback from them to help improve your artwork. Because maybe you can't go intern right now. Maybe you have a very busy, stacked life where you're like, I can maybe squeeze in a, a group art meeting once every other month. Those people you associate with, are they willing to give back and provide honest critique and feedback on your work? And you're willing to do the same. When you feel that safety around um, a core group of people like that, you're going to be more honest and you're going to provide them feedback. Maybe it's got some positive things and maybe some things that they need to work on and the same for you, but you know it's coming from a good place. You know it's coming because they want you to do better. They want you to excel. And you feel the same way about them. So when you have a group like that, it's just a really, really helps you level up in your artwork. So highly recommend, even like I said, if it's every other month um, and you meet with a group of creatives, maybe to sketch and maybe to talk shop, maybe to talk about what they're working on, it can make you feel just such positivity about your work. I, I just, I never feel like maybe they're working on other things, they're doing great. I, I've never felt like, because Marsha does just so many commissions with um, portraits, 
um, pet portraits and watercolor. They're beautiful. Um, I always feel like it's coming from a great place, her feedback and uh, hearing what she's working on. It really motivates me. I don't think about it and say, oh, I should be doing it. No, I go like, that's awesome. I, I should try a new watercolor technique or learn something um, from Marsha about that or you know, or think about, well, how did you handle getting those commissions? What do you do? Or you're at an art show? That is awesome. How do you even do that? So that's where I look at it. It's just a wonderful exchange of ideas and knowledge um, because there's so much information out there, as you know, when you Google something, there's it's like a ton of free information and going through that when you are around other people who are in maybe trying to explore different um, things in their art journey, they're going to share and they're going to give you their honesty about it. So that's another point. Um, let's see here. The next one I wanted to talk about is Living Simply. Bunyan Morris made the comment about in his interview, Living Simply. That was one of his points and his advice. I really really um, agree with that. I feel like uh, when I talk to other artists who have made a transition into pursuing their artwork more fully, they talk about, well, I kind of changed things up financially. I just started living more simply. And doing that and saying, hey, I'm going to cut back on my bills. I am going to no longer, you know, uh, I'm going to be more financially mindful. You know, everybody's different on what level. I always think it's like, you know, some people want to live in a house that is more on the level of a mansion size. Some people are fine with a small apartment or whatever. You figure out what financially fits for you and makes sense that allows you to maybe not stress out so much about the day-to-day, -day, like bills and things like that, so you can make more time for your art. And that was something I had to really learn and research. I read a lot of books about how do you become more financially uh, solvent, you know, and especially with things going on um, right now. Um, and in my career, I've seen friends um, get laid off and things happen. And so living more simply has really made me have more options to pursue things that I want to in my artwork. So it was really good advice from Bunyan Morris about, because he lives more simply, he travels around in his RV, he gets to go to these really cool uh, music festivals and paint live paintings. Um, those things that we do gives him the option and flexibility to do that. Also being retired too, that, that probably helps out a lot too. But, you know, planning ahead for where you want to be for your end goal and how you're going to get there financially as an artist, as a creative, can really help you out. Another thing, Michael May, he was like, he had already retired from the military. He mentioned in his interview, he um, then pursued a teaching career. So he's like pursuing his writing, doing teaching during the daytime, and then going in and finding out, okay, like I've hit a point now where I can transition and say, okay, I'm going to go full time with my writing. So there's nothing wrong with gradually kind of doing it like a part-time job, doing the artwork when you have time, nights and weekends. Um, that's what I've had to do. And even when I was um, 
a graphic designer and I was a freelance illustrator. I was working full time as a graphic designer and then I would do freelance work uh, nights and weekends. So, so yeah, that's pretty normal in the creative fields. Another thing um, I wanted to mention is mental and physical health. Okay, um, making time for other things besides art, which, you know, having a hobby, because like my son asked me one day, uh, what do you do for fun? And I said, well, I like to draw. That's what I do for fun. And he's like, what about for vacations? I, I like to draw. So here's something I learned. When we switched over to the online platform for teaching, I kind of just became a total workaholic. I was just like constantly working because I felt like at home you don't have those boundaries that you kind of set for yourself and you go like, I, whereas you go to work and you get in your car, there's this physical like location shift. So I was like just working all the time, seven days a week. And I did it for five months and I was doing, you know, things for art lessons things for my artwork. A lot of it was for my um, artwork and doing some internship work. So what I found out is that's not good for you physically for your body to be at a computer for that many days, for my five months and that many hours. And it caused me to have pain in my back. And I was just like, and shooting pain in my arm. And I realized, Boy, you really need to be conscious about how you're dividing your time. So if you are working from home and you are doing freelance artwork or you are teaching, say, online from home, set yourself some boundaries. Set yourself, say, I mean, and I am still working this, so I don't have and have specific answers and of course everybody's different too but for myself I really need to say I am going to maybe be more scheduled and be like only during these hours are my work hours and I'm only going to work xyz during these hours and then I'm taking a break and then or maybe setting a timer and saying every 50 minutes I'm going to take a break I'm going to go walk around I'm going to stretch and it's so hard with art any kind of creative work that you do your right brain starts taking over it's almost like you go into one of those trance-like states you're just constantly drawing that's how, that's what happens to me I lose track of all time I don't know when I last drank a cup of water I'm not even sure when I went to the restroom so it's just not healthy for yourself and it'll cause you especially if you're working at a computer and you're doing it like I was doing a lot of digital art um, your posture, you don't really even realize it. it. It feels almost like it'd be natural that you should like hunch over like that for long periods of time. You don't even feel it come on until after you're like, oh, that was painful the next day. So figure out ways that you can be ergonomic. Um, I am looking into that. I did a lot of research on YouTube to find out what other artists are doing. And it's interesting, there's only a few artists mentioned some of the pains they're going through, but I bet you there's a lot more other art visual artists because when you're spending time on your art, you know, I, I was doing hours and hours. I w it was really hard to stop because I was having so much fun um, to have that luxury of being able to just like work on something and to develop it more fully. So 
I'm, I'm researching it and I think I'm going to make a YouTube video on how I changed my workspace to make it more ergonomic and then you can pick and choose to see what works for your space. I have a very tiny studio space so I'm going to have to really figure out how I'm going to lay things out but I am definitely going to make a priority for my health because if I want to keep making more art, if I want to be creative, if I want to be, um, whether it's art lessons or whether it's um, making my own artwork, I have to be in good health. If I don't feel good, I don't want to make art. You just, the pain, it just, you know, takes away any thought about spending time in drawing. And so, um, also, it's good for your mental health to take a break, you know, and get away from your artwork, go take a walk outside, you know, I, I've been, I've been doing that, um, I've been baking, I've been cleaning, I've been thinking of other ways that I can try to break up my day from just focusing on my artwork, because as an artist, we're so much more than that. Like I said in the past, part of this um, podcast, you know, we have different aspects of our lives. And, you know, art's just one of those things that enriches us, that allows us to, you know, pursue our passions, make money from it, and things like that. But it's really good to have balance. And also, you know, my family was kind of getting irritated with me. They were like, we want you to spend time with us. We want you to be a part of our lives. So... I think an all-around general sense of good health, mental, physical health, figure out your workflow. You know, if it's better for you to get up early, early in the morning and start working and then take breaks, because I talked to Penny Weber, illustrator, she says she gets up really, really early um, and she gets a lot of work done and then she can spend, at a certain point, she just spends it with her family. And I thought that was great. Um, but you've got to figure out what works better. And also, when are you more creative? When are when is it the best time? I do find it it's better for me. I'm more focused in the morning. End of the day, I'm kind of like, you know, wiped out just from having the whole course of the day. But you might be a night person, so you might need a reverse schedule. So really kind of look at what works for you and make time for self care mental and physical so and another thing I wanted to mention is end goals so Kristen uh, Baird who's the jewelry di designer here in Savannah Georgia beautiful jewelry but she talked about she brought up the question for me it was funny because normally I'm asking the questions during the interview but she said what's your end goal what do you want to accomplish and that was really great. It kind of made me really think about what do I want to do with my artwork? Where do I want to go? And so I kind of like let that marinate and I was kind of like, oh, you know, I kind of want to keep pursuing my artwork and I do want to teach. I'm not quite sure how that teaching is going to look because this whole virus situation has really changed kind of the way um, education is kind of delivered in some areas. Um, sometimes it's um, a mixed online, in person, and things like that. I'm actually taking a break from teaching right now to pursue graduate school, but as a student, um, I'm receiving more online delivery of the, of the learning and material. So, you know, I look at, like, 
I may need to be flexible to be able to deliver online in person and really develop more online curriculum for the future when I go back to teaching. And as a student, you know, um, just how I manage taking a full load of classes and they're all online, you know, time management. But I also want to pursue my own interests in visual arts as an illustrator. And I think I'm more inclined to be like, not so much ask for permission, not necessarily always have to be like, I've got to send out the promo cards, which I did. I did send out the promo cards, but I thought about making projects for myself. You know, if nobody's knocking at your door and say, hey, we want to hire you, there's really nothing stopping you nowadays to make your own products, develop your own ideas, and it makes you um, better at if you do get hired for that job that kind of fits in line with what you're doing on your own. So I had taken digital illustration with Professor Constantino, and she had a lesson on surface design because she'd actually done that, um, even shown at Surtex and done um, surface design professionally. So I really loved the lesson that she had, really enjoyed it. And then after that, I just kept doing that. I went to a, a workshop with another professor who um, covered William Morris's patterns, really cool stuff. So I just kept working on it on the side and I was like, I sent some of my surface designs to a company that sells stock surface designs. So I went ahead and sent them in, I got rejected. And then you know what, I was like, you know what, I'm kind of a little too old to be waiting around for people to give me uh, a yes. I feel like I'm just going to go ahead and do it myself. So the first place I started researching was like Spoonflower. I started uploading my designs. I even ordered some um, fabric samples to see how they looked. Um, that area was interesting, but then what it led me to think about was my background for 10 years was as a print graphic designer. So I worked at a nationally distributed magazine, Scuba Diving Magazine. That was my last graphic design job, and I worked as the advertising manager. And so I worked with clients all over throughout the United States um, and overseas. So you work with people in, in like Australia, Micronesia, all kinds of cool places, Taiwan. So I realized, you know, especially from my teaching experience at my um, last job, I had some really great students who were just like, you're so good at what you do, Miss Miller. And I was like, really? I mean, I was kind of surprised by that. I just never really think about it. But um, I was just like, you know, I think I could do this. I think I can take my own surface designs and start making my own products. So for me, I was like, I gravitated more towards print surface design and so I started developing my own line of low low content books and I started designing the covers based on my surface designs and making products that I would want that are in line with trends that are going on and also getting feedback from friends about what they thought could be changed and so it was really neat because then I would post things on Facebook and I would go ahead and get feedback from um, my Facebook friends and they'd be like, oh, we like this direction because I put up four different color options or design options and they'd give me feedback. I would make more changes, repost it again. And so because for me as a commercial artist um, and in my past as a graphic designer, I just, I always had other people to get feedback from. And so I've always liked that aspect of um, 
commercial art um, because you're really designing for a specific client set. So um, my Facebook friends were great about saying what they liked or maybe this needed more work. And then I would develop it and then I'd go ahead and get it polished and printed. And I would just do that through Amazon. So that's been a really fun experience. Now, if I hadn't done that and had just given up because, oh, I didn't get, I got rejected again um, from this company for, you know, you know, and I thought about it, you know, they didn't really pay very much. And already, like in the last, you know, couple months of doing it, I was like, you know, they, they would have paid me pennies. And at least I've made more than that off of the surface designs that I've um, put out there on my own products. So that's been great. And uh, learning how to market and how to share my work on different platforms. So that's all been a wonderful learning experience. And it was, it was something that I chose to have that as a project, I chose to think about could I use this for my thesis. And ultimately, there are certain aspects of it that I could, I'm actually going to delve more into children's books. But I feel like nowadays there's so many opportunities for whether you're a younger artist, whether you're an older artist, um, these platforms that are out there, you can create things, um, make, them, make something beautiful, make something affordable that you um, can put out in the world. And you don't necessarily have to always go through the traditional channels. And I feel like, and this is just me, this is my personal opinion, you can get a publisher to go ahead and um, hire you and give you an advance. I've had that experience, but at the end of the day, um, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, you get maybe undervalued in a way um, in what you're doing and maybe you lose control of what you're working on and maybe don't get to fully develop that direction of that that work that you did and so when you become the captain of your ship and say this is the direction I want to go this is how far I'm going to take it um, for me personally I've wanted to develop it even more to be even professional because I wanted to, to compete on a level where people would look at that like I don't see a difference between that and somebody else's product that's made by this company. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed that experience and I really liked the research and I liked, um, I liked figuring that out on my own and having my friends become my focus group and help me out with suggestions so and I love the immediacy of just saying um, I've got this project done boom I'm gonna publish it and it's out there so don't discount doing things on your own I'm not saying don't go through the traditional avenues because I do both now I just I send out mailers I you know can email prospective clients who are with bigger companies who would give me advances but at the same time I've developed these personal projects that allow me to develop my craft on my own terms and produce real products that at the end of the day I can hold and I can say hey I was able to achieve this level of professionalism and craft in my work so yeah go for it
you, you, you don't have to get permission from somebody else to do your art and put it out there. Um, at the end of the day, know that your artwork has value no matter where you are in your journey, whether you're just starting out, um, because only you could do that work and you are going to develop it and make it stronger and better. So just, yeah, cut yourself some slack. <laughs> yeah, don't, I think that was one of the other things that I learned throughout this whole um, creative process of interviews and then looking back on my own um, journey. I, I was so hard on myself. I was like, I, I'm not achieving as much or I'm, you know, don't compare yourself to other people. Everybody else is at a different point in their journey. Um, and, and what we all do is so different. And so, and maybe it could be similar. Maybe they are pursuing um, that same market, but they're going to do it in a different way. So it's really hard to measure your success on those, you know, somebody else's beautiful Instagram posts or whatever like that. I just, I realize with that kind of stuff, you know, I'm just putting stuff out there to show that I'm trying to get better. You know, I'm not really competing with anybody else. I'm competing with myself, competing with the artist that I was three months ago, six months ago, and say, can I do better than that person that I was? Can I develop my ideas better? Can I communicate visually better? So, yeah, because if you keep trying to measure yourself against other visual artists, writers, creatives out there in a way that you know, it creates that negative self-talk. You're not going to get as far. You want to look at it objectively and go like, you know, that person's been doing that for a long time. They've developed their skills and craft so well. And so there's always a possibility that you can work to develop your craft at your own pace, whatever that might be, that you have time for in your busy schedule. And be okay with that. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Give yourself permission to make mistakes. Give yourself permission to be like that is all a very natural part of the process. And uh, I think we don't as creatives talk about it as often that probably there's a lot of bad drawings that happen, but don't have a really good drawing. And then once you get that sense of like, oh, that's what really hits that sweet spot. And I can, I can keep working and developing and I can pick up on it a lot quicker and uh yeah so yeah and because of the mistakes that I made in my drawings I was like oh I know now why I can see it and I can adjust and I can um fix it or or move on to the next thing so anyways um I think I've talked enough about my reflections about my interviews with all these wonderful creatives they have such great spirits. Everybody I've interviewed, they are generous, they are kind, they are very positive about their outlook on just life in general and just their work and their creativity. And I greatly appreciate everybody that I got to speak with. I am trying to figure out in the future for this podcast if there's something else besides just interviewing creatives, maybe some helpful topics that might be more practical. Um, I just tend to be a very practical person and I was like, oh, it'd be really neat to maybe interview like people who can help creatives make their jobs easier. Because I found in my creative path, like 
an accountant. I know that's like really not like um, like the most uh, sexy thing to talk about, like, oh, accounting. But as a freelancer, if you're done and you start getting 1099s, like when I've talked to other creatives, they're like, yeah, an accountant is great. And then I was thinking about what about a lawyer? You know, we deal so much with intellectual property and that would be really fascinating to talk to somebody who works with creatives, specifically where it comes to legal terms um, about, you know, copyright and, you know, I have a basic understanding, but there's some other things that I go like, oh, I'm kind of curious about. So I'm going to take a hiatus and I'm going to reflect and I'm going to think about what direction I want to take this uh, podcast. So... Yeah, because I think I've interviewed a lot of people, so I go, 52 is a lot, and they were all wonderful, but I go like, oh, sometimes you want to change things up a little bit and say, hey, let me let me try something else. So, so yeah, I'm going to take a break, and thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day. This is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life. Thanks for listening.